before we left the house not too many uh, minutes ago, or someone says, are you ready? We knew what they meant. Are you ready to leave? Are you ready to go? We're going to the services. We're going to the meeting tonight. We understand what it is to, to be ready. We understand what it is to get ready. It takes some preparation. We are being flooded. Our minds are being flooded with garbage every day. I was thinking a moment ago, you can't even go to the gas station and fill up your automobile with gas because someone's going to pull up somewhere in that gas station with, station with their windows down and they're going to be blaring some kind of music, if you can call it that, with lyrics that are just mind-boggling and you think, wow. We are, our minds are being flooded with garbage, like I said. Remember years ago, some of you do, when the computers started getting popular, there was a thing called Geigo, and they said, garbage in, garbage out. And that, whatever you put into that computer, that's what's going to come out. Well, I, I know I used to get mad at the computer and say, uh, talk to it. I, you, you probably don't do that, but I would talk to the computer and say something like, this stupid computer doesn't know what it's doing and so on and so forth. And I'm, someone would say, well, if you, you know, it's not going to put out anything unless you put it in. Well, we need to watch our minds carefully. Am I of a ready mind? Have I prepared my mind to go to heaven? Am I ready? There were false teachers among the brethren at Philippi disturbing the peace. And, of course, this lesson is, is from the, the book of Philippians, and particularly verses, uh, or chapter 4 and verse uh, 8, about what we are to fill our minds with. You know, there were false teachers. There's still false teachers today. And Paul, he writes to warn and exhort and comfort those brethren. That's one of our purposes today as gospel preachers is to warn, to exhort, to comfort one another. I need you. I need you to help keep my mind in the right direction. Don't you need your brethren to do that? You know, Paul informs the brethren there at uh, Philippi of his situation. He talked about his labors at Rome in chapter 1, verses 3 through 30, and he was thankful for their fellowship. He prayed for their love toward one another, and he uh, indicated uh, telling them about his bonds or his difficulties or uh, persecution as the first lesson of this series started. He told them about his bonds were for the uh, furtherance of the gospel. You know, you think of an individual that was thrown in prison several times, and what did he do? Did he grumble and complain? No, he preached the gospel, and many were converted. You think of those that heard the gospel uh, because he was in prison that otherwise would not have heard. So we need to recognize that our situation, doesn't matter what it is, we need to keep the right kind of attitude or the right kind of mind. The Lord's example and pattern for the observance of His church begins in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 18. He says, look on others' well-being. Sometimes we don't think about others. What are we hearing today across our nation? Oh, I'm offended by that. I'm offended by this. I'm offended by that. And, you know, they're, they're, um, they're changing things that have been around for longer than some of us have. 
Because now it offends someone. You know, they're not interested in what others want. They're not interested in others' well-being. And of course, uh, uh, Paul indicates here too to these brethren, work out your own salvation. Wouldn't it be wonderful if I could do what you, I could do for you what you need to do? But I can't do that. So we have to work that out ourselves. We have to, and of course, our mind has to be in the right direction in order to do that. I can't, I can't do what God desires me to do if I don't know what He did, desires me to do. So we have to have that ready mind. Don't murmur and dispute and complain. He also talks about in chapter 2, verses 1, 1 through 18. And then one thing that he does here in, in many of his books that he writes, but here in Philippians 2, 19 through 30, he begins to call out the names of his assistants and co-laborers. And he calls them by name. He doesn't just say, the brethren help me. He calls them by name. And it's always wonderful to be able to call the names of those that have helped us. Brother Chuck said that he, um, he said something to Darwin Hunter about, you need to go to school. And he just went on his way and never thought anything about it. But later on, Brother Hunter said, you know, you influenced me a great deal. He called him by name. And we call each other by name. Thank God that we have one another. I appreciate all of the work that is being done by those that I know, and I can call them by name, but I also appreciate the work that is being done, the faithful work that is scriptural, uh, according to the scriptures, of those that I do not know. And then in chapter 4, verses 2 through 20, Paul gives some final exhortations to, cooperate, to cooperation between uh, himself and the Philippian church. You know, it's, it, it's, good, it's a good thing to cooperate. It's a good th- I don't know how many congregations we have represented here tonight, but we have several, and it's, it's great uh, to be able to cooperate with each other. To advertise or to announce others' meetings and to attend others' meetings. This... Uh, I have mixed feelings concerning these uh, these things that well we're doing it tonight is going out over the social media. I have mixed feelings about this. I wonder, well, you know, if we didn't have that, would the folks be here? You know, there I appreciate everyone that is listening tonight. I, it doesn't matter whether you're present or not because. I hope that, that this lesson will encourage and, and build us up and help us some way to reach heaven. But I have mixed feelings about the, the uh, social media in the fact that they're not encouraging us because they're not here. Be here tomorrow night. If you're listening tonight, be here tomorrow night. You know, we need to pack this building. And it, it's encouraging to this congregation for you to be here. And it's encouraging our congregation when others come to Azalea. It's encouraging to Lee and Walnut, to that congregation when you attend there, or any of those in the surrounding area. People don't have a, uh, seem to not have a tendency, they seem to have a tendency not to help and support each other, but we need to help and support each other. There are certain attitudes and thoughts a Christian must have, and I already mentioned in, in Philippians 4.8, and I believe that, 
that that's the attitude that each and every Christian needs to strive toward. He says, finally, brethren. You know, after all, he said all of these things, he's discussed what the, the situation is with himself. He's, he's named those that are working with him, his, his co-laborers in, in Christ. And he says, finally, brethren. You know, think about this. He says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are, uh, are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, watch this, think, there's the mind, think on these things. Do we think on those things? Do we keep those kinds of things uh, upon our mind? And, and many times we, we, like I said, our minds are being flooded with garbage out there. We need to come together like this. We need to come together more like this. We were also talking before services about gospel meetings and how they used to last for, for two weeks and then they cut down to a week and then they were six days and now they're three days. And I even know you probably do too of congregations have one day. Uh, gospel meetings. I know there are many that have one-day vacation Bible schools, and and uh, Pike Road used to have a one-day lectureship, uh, and I don't know if they still have it or not. But you know that's good. But why have we cut back so much? When I was at Eastside and we had our lectureships, uh, lectureship there, I was told by one particular individual. He says, "Well, these lectureships are 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 just." done to, to get preachers together and help preachers. And I thought, well, if that's the only reason, it's good that we do that, but that's not the only reason. And th that individual, of course, was kind of grumbling and complaining that we were having a, uh, I forget how many days it was now, five-day, four-day or five-day lectureship. We don't get together like we should. I can remember one occasion we, most congregations have uh, monthly fellowships that they get together and eat and uh, talk with one another and so on and so forth. And one lady says, we need to get together more. And so we were not getting together but at that time, but about once every couple of months. So we set a, uh, uh, a monthly fellowship, and it wasn't very uh, many months later, and she says, we get together too much. <laughs> I thought, oh, wow. <laughs> we... You know, we don't get together enough. I need you. And I hope you need me. I hope you need one another. Because that's the kind of mindset. We need to have the kind of mindset in, in being together. I, I know that, that there are several here that have been to, to, to different uh, preaching schools. And, and uh, the discussion in preaching schools many times it says you better enjoy it. It ain't going to be like this when you get out. It ain't. It's not going to be like this when you get out. And it's not. <laughs> you know, you have a group of individuals there that are encouraging you every day. They are of, of, of the same mind. And it seems like things just easy. Even though the work is difficult, things are easy because you have others there that are sharing in the same, same situation. But today, we forget that we need to be together more. You know, if we don't enjoy one another's company now, we're not going to enjoy heaven. Of course, we're not going to be there if we don't enjoy one another's company now, are we? 
So we need to change our mindset. I want us to look at these things that Paul mentions here. But he's, like I said, he says, finally, brethren. And then he names six things which each and every Christian should seek to have really perfection in, in their lives. And, and it would help us to, to always keep these things constantly in mind. I, I was thinking about an incident, and, and I don't know exactly where to place it in this lesson, but I'm going to put it right here, about thinking on right things and, and keeping these things constantly in mind. There were three or four young Christian men that were standing in a group, and a girl came down the, the street, and she wasn't dressed very modestly, and one of them says, look, look. And then he says, no, don't look, don't look. And he would have never said probably don't look if he hadn't been in the proper company because he knew those men, you know, these, these things are being flooded in our minds day in and day out. We need to understand that what the world is trying to do to us. We have to think the right thoughts. You know, one who lives with his problems and mistakes and failures of the past, he's going to forfeit his happiness now. Have you ever made mistakes? Have you ever made problems? Have you ever had any failures in the past? If I were to ask you to raise your hand, every hand would go up because each and every one of us have. But we can't reflect or keep our minds on those things. We, we'll lose our happiness now. In Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14, uh, Paul writes there, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, pressing on, moving on, leaving problems, mistakes, and failures in the past. That's the kind of mind that we have, we must have, um, I, I, I kind of, well, I don't kind of, I get upset when I hear uh, men sitting around or business meeting or elders or whatever it might be, and someone says, well, why don't we do this? And someone speaks up, oh, we tried that before and it didn't work. Well, guess what? I've tried a lot of things in the past and it didn't work, but I kept trying it or kept doing it and it, it finally began to work. Think about the, uh, all of the memory verses they gave us, men, when we went to school. <laughs> I'll never be able to do that. You kept on and you kept on and you kept on and you made it through. You know, one, one whose mind is controlled by the fears and frustrations of the present, not just the past, but even the present. They're for, forfeiting happiness as well. Peter said this in 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. That's the kind of mind we need to have. Let us just cast our problems and frustrations and failures of the past and present and even ask God to help us through those same things in the, in the future when we, we're going to have them, cast our care upon Him. The mind of the Christian is to be controlled by Christ, 
in order for us to have true happiness. And so we're going to look at these things that Paul listed here in Philippians 4 verse 8. Whatsoever things are true. What's true? Anymore, if you watch the news uh, forecast, forecast or whatever, what they call them things, anyway, watch the news. <laughs> you don't hear very much that's true, do you? You know, one, one uh, group of people, and I'm in that group, talks about fake news. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing of the dishonesty of people today. And so Paul is saying, whatsoever things are true, those things that are steadfast and loyal, and we know the things that are true today where we are to base our truth is upon the Scriptures, the Word of God. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. We have people coming up with all kinds of things today, religiously speaking. And uh, I don't know if religions teach the the theory of evolution, but the world does, and the world seems to accept that, but the Word of God does not verify that. It verifies it to be false. And we need to understand that the standard of truth is the Word of God. What I say is not true, unless I can back it up with what's in the, in the Scriptures. What you say is not truth, unless you can back it up with what's in the Scriptures. But you ask, ask those today uh, of any kind of, of, of religious uh, affiliation, so to speak, uh, about proving something from the Scriptures, and they'll look at you and say, well, everybody does this. Well, that doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it right because of what I do or the majority does. We've heard lessons concerning if you're going to follow the majority, then God was wrong in destroying the world and saving Noah and his family. It doesn't that make sense? But we can't get folks to, to think in that direction any longer, it seems. They don't want to think on things that, that, are, that are true and, and, and all of the things here that, that Paul has listed. And so... Everything must stand on truth or it's false to the core. It doesn't have any truth in it. We, we hear statements sometimes about half-truths. Well, then it's, it's error. It's false. No such thing as a half-truth. It's either true or it's false. It's right or it's wrong. You know, it requires truth and its completeness. And all that truth demands, John 4.24 says, God is a spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Must! Had someone one time, I, I was, they asked me to do a lesson concerning uh, qualifications of elders. And every, you know, it, it, every time it says something, it says you must. And, and this person came up to me and said, what do you mean by must? And I'm thinking, well, you must have a problem if you don't understand must. That means you've got to do it. <laughs> you, you have to, be a, you have, to be, uh, have that qualification. There's no such thing as, well, I almost got it. Oh, you must. And so we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. 
And again, the truth we're going to find in, in the Scriptures. This has happened to many of us, just like it did to Paul. He asked those brethren at Galatia, chapter 4, uh, verse 16, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Yeah, Paul, you made enemies from telling the truth. I've made enemies, you've made enemies from telling the truth. Tell it anyway. Have the mindset that you're always going to tell the truth, and especially concerning one soul. His truth as an achievement of mine. Uh, you know, we have to, to have be determined and, that I'm going to achieve this. I'm going to put nothing in my mind but truth. Then he says, whatsoever things are honest. You, know, you notice how close akin that is, truth and honesty, and even the next one, just. The definition of honest is to be free from deception, to be truthful, to be genuine, to be real. Coca-Cola says they're the real thing. They are, I guess, originally, so, so to speak. And so, whatever's honest, anything that is honorable in the sight of God and man, is the golden rule would apply here. Luke 6.31 says it this way, And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. 2 Corinthians 8.21, Paul wrote there, providing for honest things not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Wouldn't it be a different world that we lived in today if everyone was honest? Did you do that? No, I didn't do that. Oh, he did that. She did that. No, I did that. But it's hard for us to say, well, no, it's my fault. I did it. I was wrong. Think about Fonzie on happy days. He couldn't say wrong, could he? I was wrong. And, and that's the way we are today. We think that's funny, but that's the way we are. We need to be honest. That's the mindset that we need to have. And then the, the next term, he says, whatsoever things are just. Those things that are correct, those things that are agreeable to justice and righteousness. In Isaiah 117, we read, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, Plead for the widow. You know, we're interested in being just with those that, uh, well, with everyone for that matter, but there's so many today that are not just. Think about the mistreating of people, mistreating of others. Even the, the, the attitude of that, that many have say, that offended me. Well, you, you're not even considering me? You're mistreating me in saying that. Well, the only, only person matters is me, according to them, them themselves. Well, we need to, to, to recognize that we can't mistreat people. Even back in, under the old law, it reads this way in Leviticus 19, verses 13 through 15, Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. Thou shalt not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, 
but shalt fear thy God. I am the Lord. Ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. But in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. Do we mistreat people? I know I have in the past. Whoa there. I, I know I've, I've mistreated people in the past. Have you, have, not, have you not done the same? You know, we mistreat one another when we give one another the cold shoulder. I need encouragement. Don't give me the cold shoulder. We must not mistreat anyone, no matter who they are or what their status might be. Galatians 6.10 says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto those that we like. doesn't say that, does it? It says, Let us do good unto all men. And I think we need to especially keep this in mind. It says, Especially unto them who are of the household of faith. You know, sometimes we're ready, and rightly so, to help those that are in need. That are, that are not outside of the body of Christ, but sometimes we fail to see the need of one another. And let me add to that, sometimes we need it and we won't ask. We're here to help each other, not to mistreat each other. You know, it's, it's really sad that there are those that mistreat people religiously throughout our world in perverting the gospel. Why do they want to do that? Because they're only interested in self. They have the wrong mindset. They're not interested in others. So they'll say what people want to hear. There are gospel preachers that will do that. They'll just say what folks want to hear. Uh, I was was thinking about, uh, I don't know if I'll call I'm not going to call his name. But anyway, he, he was a... Uh, uh, fellow that, that he was he was honest with congregations and he moved to this congregation on on a, got moved on a, a Friday and Saturday and he had a visit and he, he was told by one of those that like to tell everything and says now look said uh, the congregation here's got a big bank account don't you dare get up there and talk about spending the money and guess what he did very first Sunday he was there got up Talked about having that big bank account and not using it. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't going to pervert the truth. He was packing his bag Monday morning. He's, he's, I guess that's the shortest lived there, there ever was. He lasted about three days once he got unpacked. I don't know if he even got unpacked. But so many will pervert the gospel in order to save themselves, to, to save... Uh, you know, they'll, many times they'll pervert it in order to keep the ones that maybe are giving the most. I had elders say to me one time when I talked to them about the, um, uh, what the Bible taught concerning marriage, divorce, and remarriage, and one of them looked at me and says, well, if we teach that here, so we, we'll probably lose about 10 or 12 of our members. I said, brother, brother, brother what are we in this for? Are we, we want to pervert the gospel because we want to keep our numbers up? Yes, that's what many do. Paul wrote to Galatia, those at Galatia, Galatians 3, 1, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. 
Who hath bewitched you? Who hath tricked you? Who has convinced you to pervert the gospel? You know, they're going to be judged. Ezra says this in Ezra 7.26, Whosoever will not do the law of thy God and the law of, thy king, of the king, let judgment be executed speedily upon him, whether it be unto death or to banishment, or to confiscation of goods, or to imprisonment. They say our prisons, prisons are overcrowded. Here's your answer. Speedily executed. They don't sit on death row for 15, 25 years. If the sentence has been passed, they're guilty. You remember what they did in the old Western movies? If you were found guilty, you were thrown in jail, and they started building the gallows, and at sunrise the next morning, you were gone. Speedily. And I understand that sometimes mistakes are made, and sometimes people maybe were not guilty. That's life. You know, we have we not been accused of things that we're not guilty of? Yes, and we'll be accused of others. That's life. Just move on. And those that are not just they're going to be judged. Matthew 25:30 says, Cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Unprofitable servants. And that includes those that have perverted the gospel. Then he says, Whatsoever things are pure. I like the clock back there. By the way, those watching can't see. It's not back there. So I have no idea what time it is. We'll just go till we finish. Whatsoever things are pure. Pure means to be unmixed with other matter. We say sometimes about those that claim they can uh, perform miracles and those that can, can heal the sick and so on and so forth and those that can handle the serpents and many times they attempt to do that and do it successfully Sometimes not so successfully. But I've never seen one that would agree to drink what I brought in to them to drink. You know, because they don't know what's in it. Just a little poison will kill you, won't it? They won't drink that. So to be pure is to be unmixed with any other matter. We cannot mix with the evils of the world. And so again, our minds are being flooded with the evils of the world. You can't, you can't uh, go in anywhere without some kind of immorality being advertised or immodesty is being shown or on and on it goes and you think, where is this going to end? Well... When is it going to end is another question. There comes a time God gets enough. God's had enough. We need to have our minds on things that are pure. 1 Timothy 5.22 says, Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Are we doing everything within our power to keep ourselves pure? 
Again, our minds are flooded. Can't drive down the road without your mind being flooded with the garbage that is out there. We must be pure in every way. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It tells us in Matthew 5, 8, if, uh, if, are we attempting to be pure in heart? Or have we accepted many things that we shouldn't be accepting? I've heard uh, many members of the church in, in recent years say something like this. And, and it's some evil or something that shouldn't be in our minds. Oh, that doesn't bother me. Well, it bothers me, and it should bother you. We have to stay pure in every way. Second Timothy 2 Verses 21 and 22 says, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel, vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. It Wasn't that a lesson yesterday? I'm ready to every good work. I'm ready to work. I, I can't even, I don't even remember my, my uh, titles. Uh, but are we prepared to every good work? He goes on to say in verse 22, Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. There are lusts that do attract us more when we're young, when we're youthful. But you know, it's sad today if you get in the company of most anyone, those youthful lusts are still there. They haven't grown up. They haven't put those things aside. So we need to think on pure things. And then he says, whatsoever things are lovely. I don't, I don't know how to describe lovely except in this way, and you'll probably think of, of, of someone that you'll hear, hear someone make this comment, isn't she a lovely person? Isn't he a lovely man? They just have lovely ways about them. I've never had that said about me. <laughs> Maybe you've never had it said about you. But don't you just love lovely people? All of us can't be alike. I appreciate lovely people. They help me and build me up. They make me smile, and not a whole lot makes me smile, I guess. Kind of have a woo attitude all the time. But, you know, we need to understand that there are lovely people, and we need them. I appreciate lovely people. They're blameless. They're harmless. You know, I think Paul describes them here in Philippians 2, verses 14 and 15, when he says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings. There's a lovely person. Ask them to do something, they'll say, okay. They'll do it. And then it says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. There's that lovely person. They shine as a light in the world. And we need those lights shining. They're faithful individuals. Luke 16.10 says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. And the lovely person is also an humble individual. 
James says in 4.10, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. Lovely people are always lifted up. How many have you thought about already of lovely people that you truly appreciate and you know that they're faithful and they're humble and they're sincere? 2 Corinthians 2.17 says, For we are not as many which corrupt the Word of God, but as of sincerity. But as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. There are individuals that are faithful. Well, the individual that is lovely, they're faithful, they're humble, they're sincere, and practically everything they do, if not truly everything they do, is to build up or enhance the kingdom of God. Don't you love the church? Jesus purchased it with His blood. Doesn't it make your blood boil when people say, church is not important? Oh, it's not. It was to Him. He died. He purchased the church with His blood. We need to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you, Matthew 6.33 says, and all these things are the necessities of life. Not saying that we'll be blessed beyond measure with uh, above others, but we'll get by. Because we have the characteristic of being faithful and humble and sincere, and we enhance the church and what we do. That's a lovely person. He says, whatsoever things are of good report, well spoken of among men, and so bringing a good name. Seemed like it was um, Zig Ziglar said one time that there was a young man that got a job delivering groceries at, a, at the small store, and he um, had been working about a week, and he called on, called the store on the telephone when he was out one time, and he says, uh, do you need a delivery boy? And the store owner says, no, we have one. And he says, well, is he doing a good job? He said, yeah, he's doing a very good job. He had a good report. So he was checking up on himself. There was one particular time I went to a couple of the older ladies in the congregation where I was preaching, and I asked them, Concerning certain things about myself, I didn't get a good report. <laughs> and, and you thought, wow, where do I need to change here? Uh, hopefully I've changed some of those things now. But we need to check up on self, don't we? We need to ask and, and be honest with ourselves. We need to have that good report. We need to have others speak of us in a, in a good way. We have to keep our mind and our actions directed only to the things of good report. But you know, many actions of unfaithfulness causes people to look at the church as just another bunch of hypocrites. And that's sad when I hear people say that. I understand that we're sinners. We all understand that. We need to be forgiven day by day. But we're not hypocritical. But when we say one thing and do another, I was telling Brother Chuck about one particular man that, that uh, uh, would only attend Sunday morning uh, worship services unless they asked him to teach a class and then he would come. If they asked him to preach on Sunday night, he would come. I was also telling him that I heard the man myself 
teach or preach a lesson on faithful attendance. About as good a lesson as I've ever heard. He wasn't there next Sunday night, the Sunday night after, or after that, or after that, or after that, and wasn't there on Wednesday night, and after that, and after that, and after that. But if he had something to do there, that's hypocritical. You know, we need to understand that the world views us as just another bunch of hypocrites. I understand, in, in one sense, the, the attitude of, of uh, Islam toward Christians, because they don't really know what a Christian is. But what they think a Christian is, what our country is representing as a Christian, they're hypocrites. They're, not, they're saying and doing. They're not following what God says. What type of report do people put on my actions? Some are going to say, well, you shouldn't have said those things from the pulpit. Well, it's too late now. <laughs> I think about Paul, too. You think about what he was doing to Christians. He was a terrorist toward Christians. What kind of apostle or Christian, a Christian and an apostle did he make? That might be good soil. Might be good folks to contact because they're committed. They're going to, when they see it, they're going to obey it. But they're afraid of Paul, just like we're afraid to go to talk to someone in the religion of Islam. If any of you are listening, come visit with us. We'll sit down and talk and we'll be honest. We want you to be honest. We want you to listen to what the Scriptures say, not what some man has said. And then he goes on after he finishes these characteristics, and the last one being of being of good report. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, virtue is conformity to a standard of right. Its morality is a particular moral excellence. And praise is to ex express favorable judgment of. Well, if there be any virtue, if there be any, any praise, and I know the last phrase is think on these things, think on the things that are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report. You know, if they promote a general good of mankind and are scriptural, then they're praiseworthy. But sometimes folks want to get uh, or, or leave out the, the, the um, attitude of scriptural or the term scriptural. Well, you know, it makes people happy. It does this for so on. Well, is it scriptural? Christians must have true excellence. And then he says, think. There's the mind again. Are you of a ready mind? Think on these things. The act of careful reflection. I know especially we men, we've had our dads to say to us somewhere along the line when we were younger, boy, why don't you think? Careful reflection. Are we giving careful reflection on these things that Paul lists here as a Christian? The mind should be occupied with reflections of things that are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report. This will help keep us away from evil. 
things listed have to be pondered and practiced. We have to care, give careful reflection upon them. We grow like our thoughts. Remember, garbage in, garbage out. We cannot entertain impure thoughts without becoming corrupt. I would imagine that impure thoughts come into our minds every day. Well, how are you going to fight against that? Add these things to your mind. Think on these things. Our thoughts greatly determine our path and uh, we must keep our mind on those things that will help us to, to, to be and remain faithful to God. Because without that, we have no hope of heaven. We need to have this kind of mind as a Christian. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, you have opportunity tonight. You have opportunity anytime to do this. Without faith it's impossible to please Him. Hebrews 11.6 Repent or perish. Luke 13.3 Confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God as the eunuch did in Acts 8.37 when He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Be baptized to wash away your sins. Acts 22.16 Rise to walk that new life. Romans 6 verses 3 and 4 Be faithful even if it should cost us our life. Revelation 2.10 be faithful till the day you die as well. Have we been faithful? If you haven't obeyed the gospel, you can do so. If you've wandered away from Christ, you can come back by making things right with Him as together we stand and sing.